Greetings, and welcome to Montessori in Action, a podcast for Montessori educators to remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Slade, and let's spend some time listening to what is in the hearts and on the minds of other Montessorians. In this episode, we learn about the Black Wildflowers Fund, a new entity and sister organization of wildflower schools that will be co-led by our guests, Maya Blankenship and Dr. Erica McDowell. This fund has been created so more wildflower schools led by proven Black educators can flourish in neighborhoods across the country. For those of you attending the AMS Montessori event in Boston this month, please join the launch event on Friday, March 17th, at Shaw Family Foundation offices. There is a link in the show notes to register, and we encourage all Black Montessori educators and equity advocates to attend and join the celebration. Welcome back, Maya. You were last on our podcast in advance of opening the Riverseed School in Washington, D.C. Now you're starting another project, the Black Wildflower Fund, along with our second guest, Dr. Erica McDowell. Um, And I was hoping you just reintroduce yourself to our readers and Dr. Erica, introduce yourself. Sure thing. Well, I'm elated to be back and thrilled that the River Seed School is opening, serving 16 beautiful early childhood um, babies, our three and four-year-olds east of the river in the Burville neighborhood. Um, so it's been a dream fulfilled mm. for Zani and Ebony. And being alongside them in the journey is really part of what um, manifested the Black Wildflowers Fund. So I'm really excited um, to share more about this national $10 million fund that is dedicated to supporting Black educators with designing schools in their communities for um, the families and children they want to serve. Hmm. Lovely. Hello, everyone. Um, My name is Erica Leslie McDowell. My pronouns are she, her, doctor. So excited to be on the line today. Um, I'm a partner with Wildflower Schools. I'm also a professor at the University at Buffalo. But the reason I'm here today is to center Black educators and talk more about how we support them throughout the journey, um, particularly through Montessori, and enable communities and connect and gather and give folks what they need to be successful. So you're, you've loosely introduced the Black Wildflower Fund, so we get a sort of sense, a little sense of what it is, but do you want to talk a little bit more about what it is? Sure. I'd happy to share. I think the Black Wildflowers Fund really is a manifestation of Black teacher leaders at Wildflower, mm-hmm. as well as Black partners who've been working over the last four to five years to support um, more wildflower schools that are led by Black teachers and Black founders. And I think one of the things that I'm most excited about connected to the fund 
is we want to make very clear and explicit there that there is startup capital mm. available um, for black teachers that go through the grueling journey of startup. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple of themes that we've seen over the years with supporting black educators mm-hmm. to design and launch wildflower schools. Mm-hmm. Um, one reoccurring theme is that many of them have had deep familiarity with the Montessori method. They've even taught in um, several Montessori classrooms, but many of them are not formally trained. Mm. So a mm. big part of what Wildflower Foundation um, did earlier in its existence was support more Black educators yeah. with getting trained. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to make that support explicit and not contingent on whether there's regional funding available. We want funding to always be available for Black educators that want to get Montessori training. So that's one piece. I think the other big part of the fund is we wanted to create something that is distinct and separate from the Wildflower Foundation, Mm. an organization that is designed by us and that is for us unapologetically. And so we are also creating a fund that will um, focus on bridge funding for black educators who are going through this process. Because anyone who started an entrepreneurial endeavor knows that there are always hiccups, mm-hmm. in particular mm-hmm. for our teacher leaders um, in the last two years, there's been construction delays, mm-hmm. there's been lease negotiations that fall through. And so we have Black educators who are putting their professional reputation on the line. They're oftentimes leaving their job. Mm-hmm. They are um, in a position where they're taking a big financial risk on us. And if things don't go as planned, we want to know. We want them to know that there is a cushion. Mm-hmm. There is a fund available that can help them get over the hump. And, and we want that particular part of the fund to be decided by black educators who are already running our wildflower schools. So that's going to be another, um, ex- expressly, uh, set, set aside amount of dollars for up to 10,000, um, that is available annually to, um, teacher leaders who are doing this exciting work. And then finally, we want to do more of what the Wildflower Foundation has always done, which is give startup grants mm-hmm. to Black teacher leaders um, as they start their school. It typically costs about $250,000 to start a Wildflower school. That includes both the three to six month runway of um, staff salaries, as well as the construction mm-hmm. um, expenses the signing of the lease and getting all the Montessori materials and equipment in place Mm -hmm. uh, to open the doors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We able to give to this fund. How did the, how's the funding emerging? Well, um, you are, uh, 
uh, first mover in terms of hearing about the public launch of the fund because we've been working on this project behind the scenes for about six months, really making sure um, within the wildflower community there was a clear focus and vision uh, and also talking to funders to make sure that like we felt it was really feasible mm-hmm. to raise $10 million over the next three years. And I think early on, we saw a lot of movement. Um, we have an inaugural funder in Imaginable Futures mm. that has funded the Wildflower Foundation, but literally lit up, opened up their Rolodex, began making more introductions um, to the funding community because of the vision that we have mm. for the Black Wildflowers Fund. Mm. We've also been able to talk to a lot of funders who have said to us, this is exciting. This is right up our alley. Mm. And we've already set aside funds for 2022, um, but come back to us in 2023. So we see that there is interest from the broader community mm-hmm. to have more um, black educators running wildflower micro schools. I also think um, the research already shows um, the promise of black educators mm-hmm. and what they have always done for all children. And so with our philosophy at the Wildflower F- Foundation around how do we create an environment that's um, Montessori for adults and for children, we believe this process and giving Black educators more autonomy over how school works in their community, also the autonomy and decision-making to uh, be responsive to the needs of their families, but also the needs of their professional selves mm-hmm. as leaders mm-hmm. is a critical component to wildflower schools becoming community embedded, longstanding institutions. So, so that's the dream that mm-hmm. the end goal here is that um, more children have a liberatory educational experience and that our best educators stay in the classroom mm-hmm. Um, and continue to serve and lead um, families and students. Mm-hmm. Dr. Erica, do you want to add to that? I think for me, it's, and you say, yes, we are totally, totally, totally excited about the fund and encourage folks to sow seeds within the fund. But we also are very centering the folks who have had longstanding barriers, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you think about um, when you want to give and you want to fundraise, part of it is just telling the story, right? Mm-hmm. And I can speak from my experience of being, right, a first-year teacher, wanting to possibly open up school, but how could I pay for training? How can I fund, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that as we traction on and talk about the fund, I think that is also a moment for us to share, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think 
as much as I've worked at um, Wildflower, I started at Wildflower as a regional site entrepreneur in New Jersey. Shout out to New Jersey. Um, <laughs> what I've come to realize from coming, being a teacher, being assistant principal, and then being someone who is ushering folks through this process, there are natural barriers that haven't been discussed or yeah. dismantled in mm-hmm. general education, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so as we're doing this work, we want to make sure that these visions that Black folks are having um, as it relates to opening up these environments, we can actually support. Mm-hmm. And we don't actually recreate history where folks have these ideas. Folks want to uh, liberate not only um, traditionally held back folks, but then it's like, well, where's the money, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, we're, right. Mm-hmm. And think about sustainability. We also want to think about in this fund, how do we not only just open these environments, but how do they sustain yeah. in order for, for the communities to be impacted? Mm-hmm. And we're actually in this. I love Lila Watson says, um, if you've come here to help me, you've wasted your time. But if you've come because your liberation is bound up with mine, let's work together. And we need to think about that also also from a fiscal manner. So that is mm-hmm. why I'm so excited about the fund and creating some generational seeds within our communities. Mm. Powerful. So I we've already sort of lifted two of the barriers when Mayu was talking. One of them is Montessori training. And the other is like you thought your startup was opening and you were going to get a salary and there's a delay. Like that's a barrier. Can you guys name some of the other barriers that you've seen crop up in, in your experience? Absolutely. I'll jump right in. I um, work with teacher leaders who have these clear visions, but the policies that are at play surrounding just basic credentialing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And thinking about we're talking about Montessori um, pedagogy. And if you're working with state departments who aren't as familiar, mm-hmm. that's a that's a struggle, mm-hmm. right? To, mm-hmm. to convince someone of something that you know to be true, right? Mm-hmm. And also, um, when you're trying to create something new, you're also dealing in an ecosystem where you're trying to open up a school and it looks different from what has happened in the past. Mm-hmm. So there's been mm-hmm. a lot of, double explaining, right? Uh-huh. Particularly to state departments and mm-hmm. licensing folks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, wait, this doesn't look like a school that we've traditionally licensed. Mm-hmm. What is the difference? Mm-hmm. And I tell folks, um, Michael Fullen, it's a book, uh, Change Leader, Being Resolute, right? But that's a lot to be resolute where <laughs> you're investing time, energy, and money, mm-hmm. and you don't even have what you need once the school opens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we ease that burden? And I think that the fund is giving an opportunity, particularly as I've walked alongside leaders who want to open in their own communities, it can also be sad to say like I have this great idea but it seems like the barriers fiscally right Mm -hmm. aren't working out for me and Mm -hmm. so how can we support folks in that where you don't even have to think about that Mm -hmm. right you know that there's a fund here to support your vision even along the barriers that are systemic in our society so I think licensing we can look at different explaining um, Montessori pedagogy particularly for folks who are unfamiliar I'm from Patterson New Jersey right Mm -hmm. I've not had a Montessori experience and we're trying to open up schools there. So how do we also educate folks about this wonderful work that folks have been touched by nationwide? Yeah. And that's such the work in the public sector, right? It's like um, creating a a bicultural narrative that's understood. We're we're looking for the same thing. Maya, did you want to add to that? Yes. I I think one of the other 
barriers is what we overcame in DC, the process of how do I create a school that is free for my community, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that is tuition free, yeah. or that is explicitly catered to serving low income families and families who might not be able to afford the full price of tuition. Um, we want to create a fund that supports teacher leaders regardless of how they set up their school, whether it's an independent school, whether they want to give, you know, 10 to 15 scholarships every year, um, whether they want to create like a, a feeder pattern across multiple, um, micro schools. We want to be a, a fund that can help them realize their dream within the constructs of, you know, the funding sources available in that local community. And so our charter pathway is one that requires a ton of upfront investment, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And at Wildflower, we've been able to garner that investment locally in some places, but not every place right. where teacher leaders want to start a charter or want to be really creative with how they ensure that there's a really strong representation of families who might not be able to afford um, uh, uh, tuition, mm-hmm. right, for mm-hmm. an independent school. And so a big part of how we do that is in helping them create a sustainable budget mm-hmm. and including in their path of sustainability that their vision for who the school serves is met. Yeah. And so oftentimes that starts with capital, mm-hmm. as as Dr. E mentioned, but it also starts with saying, hey, you have to pay yourself first. You have to build in leadership development and coaching. You have to build a schedule that also allows you to plan and manage the administrative aspects, mm-hmm. right? You have to activate your community and leverage the assets that are there. Mm-hmm. And all of that is a part of the school startup journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we we are also asking people to spend time on refining and developing their vision in a way that people will fund it in a way that they can go after small business loans. They can receive loans from us, but they can also go after grants in the broader community Mm -hmm. um, to fund their vision of their school. So we're really supporting what oftentimes are gaps for educators, the entrepreneurial know-how to package and pitch their vision so more people invest in it. That's a key component um, mm-hmm. to the long-term success of their schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So you've named a number of barriers that we've sort of pulled out, and I'm thinking about the data that only 7% of public elementary and secondary teachers today are Black, and less than 5% of all Montessori teachers identify as Black. I'm curious why you think that is. How do we affect change on the system that created this kind of disparity? I want to start with some legislation, right? Let's just go all the way back. If we go to Brown versus Board of Ed, right, um, and we look at that legislation, it literally deconstructed 
um, the black educators opportunity to receive work. Right. So imagine, folks, if you were in that era and children were like, yes, segregation is ended in schools. But think about those institutions who were hiring teachers. They weren't hiring black folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's number one. So let's go back to, to our history. And then number two, my dad is a retired black man teacher, right? Mm-hmm. It's only 2% of black men that are educators right now. And so I think sometimes folks are like, why? I said, well, the environment has not been created mm-hmm. for folks to feel like they can um sustain within education, right? Mm-hmm. That's why I'm, I, I'm an educator today. And instead of saying, where are folks, we need to say, how can we create environments for black folks to feel like they belong and feel like they can take these jobs Mm -hmm. because it was here. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what are we doing? And I think that's why this opportunity, um, that's why I love working for Wildflower. Shout out for Wildflower Foundation. How can we, one, liberate environments and black folks in an entrepreneurial way? But also, we have the tools we need to give our communities um, education and learning, right? And so on top of that, the numbers are so low is because we're, we're targeting the wrong thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we get folks training, right? How do we, because it's not a Black folks don't want to teach. It is, look at all these barriers in which I would have to do that. Would you make that choice? Mm-hmm. Right. And thinking about systemic and structural oppression. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the numbers aren't even shocking. For me, it's like confirmation yeah. of something that we need to dismantle. And I think mm-hmm. this fund is going to start that work of getting mm-hmm. a black folks trained, right? Mm-hmm. Opening up schools that are centered in communities. Um, as someone who loves education, I, I want um, teachers to flourish in my family. But I also can't ask you to come into an environment that doesn't support you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think for me, that's why those numbers look the way they do. And I'm curious to see um, what Maya thinks about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Dr. E. I will say that um, in addition to, uh, you know, Brown versus Board of Education, I think the new era and wave of um, movements resulted in some of our best and brightest in terms of um, black genius leaving communities mm-hmm. after um, integration, right? Where there was more opportunity to not just be a nurse or a housekeeper or an educator, but opportunities beyond that. And so I think that there's um, a lot that we can do to educate um, people in the fact that they can remain a teacher, they can remain in education, and they can be an entrepreneur and mm-hmm. have power and autonomy mm-hmm. over what their school looks like. I don't think um, traditional schools of education really create clear pathways for educators. Oftentimes it's like the pathway is the traditional pathway. When I think about my grandmother and my auntie Joan, they were longtime educators who moved up in the Memphis City school system. And one of them had an opportunity that was presented to them. Oh, we want you to open the first Montessori school in the district. 
she was chosen and then sent to training. And what I found in speaking with almost all of the black Montessorians that I've encountered is somebody chose them mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and made the opportunity available to them and paid them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as they were and paid for their training. Mm-hmm. And so, and I don't hear that same lived experience for white Montessorians. You know, they, they might've gone a year or two out um, after graduation or they might have gone straight into Montessori and just gotten their Montessori credential because they could sign the loan or their parents could sign the loan for them and they could delay for a year and stay with the relative or, you know, they had a partner that could support them financially. So I think um, what the system of Montessori training has done, it's limited who's been able to get a Montessori credential because primarily up until the pandemic, it hasn't been accessible. Mm-hmm. It's been something that you have to take a year, year mm-hmm. and a half off to, to get, you know, the, the best training, right? Mm-hmm. To get what is considered the highest quality training. And now the pandemic has forced that whole system of training to kind of reinvent itself, mm-hmm. to, to become more accessible, to be asynchronous. So we're really trying to tap into those programs and mm-hmm. elevate those programs to black and brown educators so that they can see a pathway to getting a credential without having to stop working or take a year off. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can't afford when we are oftentimes, I'm the breadwinner of my family. Mm-hmm. We're oftentimes a breadwinner of our family. We can't afford to not earn an income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that has me thinking about the Black Montessori Education Fund and wanting to make sure people know about that fund and are accessing it. I'm sure you had overlap with them. Absolutely. And um they are part of the inspiration for this work. Mm-hmm. I think we are grounding in abundance so that everyone who wants Montessori training can get it. Mm-hmm. And I think Dr. Aize and the the team over at Black Montessori Education Fund, they have already supported so many mm-hmm. of our emerging teacher leaders who didn't yet um have their Montessori credential. Um, and it's been an incredible partnership. I, I expect us to do so much more together in the years ahead. Exciting. Well, already in our conversation, you've used the word liberatory a couple of different times. And I wonder if we could just have a moment at the end here to talk directly about the connection between Montessori and liberatory learning for students and teachers of color and how you see that impacting our larger community? A big question, I know, but lean in. Absolutely. Well, I think when I think about liberatory, I think about freedom. And I am um, a mom almost six years in the game since my, my daughter was born. And it has been incredible Um to think about what kind of environment Mm. am I creating for her to experience joy and freedom every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I do think 
you know, the Montessori method, the Montessori environment, it prepares adults to set the stage for children to be free. And what I love about Wildflower is our process, our model, um, what we encourage is how do we set the stage for educators to become entrepreneurs and mm-hmm. create an environment where they're free, mm-hmm. where they're free to grow professionally and personally, mm-hmm. where they're free to thrive as educators. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we all know about the teacher shortage. We mm-hmm. all know that teacher turnover to me is one of the biggest barriers getting in the way Mm -hmm. of ensuring our children have an excellent education. And we also know that the Montessori method is steeped in deep relationship. Mm -hmm. Great Montessori schools Mm -hmm. have teachers who are with children for three year cycles. Mm -hmm. They deeply know their students Mm -hmm. and their families. Mm -hmm. I think that is a critical recipe for liberatory learning. Mm-hmm. But I also think this um, responsibility to set a time, set aside time for growth and reflection as an individual, mm-hmm. as a school leader, and as a community member is key. Mm-hmm. And I think what makes Wildflower particularly unique and what we want to leverage with the Black Wildflowers Fund is opportunities to bring all of our black partners and black teachers together Mm -hmm. for community, Mm -hmm. for vulnerability, Mm -hmm. for growth, Mm -hmm. for wellness, because investing on an annual basis in that connection, in that relationship will allow us to share wisdom, best practice with each other, Mm -hmm. will allow us to prioritize and continue to prioritize ourselves when we go back home, and will allow us to problem solve and support each other when our community needs something, when we are faced Mm -hmm. with the challenges that we absolutely will encounter. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think about um, liberatory and at so many different levels. Mm -hmm. I also think about... um, liberatory um, Montessori classroom is like, how are we decolonizing Montessori? Mm -hmm. What are the different ways that we're doing it? And how does it manifest in a school like Roxbury Roots um, and manifest in a school like Honeypot or the Riverseed School? These are all different schools serving um, different students in different locations, Mm -hmm. but they are all defining liberatory um, Mm -hmm. schooling and and just really refreshing, beautiful ways. And I think it starts and ends with nurturing the leadership of Mm -hmm. the founders Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and the guides who are, you know, on the front lines with students. Mm. Mm. That was sort of a delicious connection all the way back to the first thing about the prepared environment, right? And what is the largest prepared environment for Black educators and Black leaders to find their space, right? And I loved when you said, what kind of environment about your daughter prepares her to be free, right? And so asking that question as a Montessori community, what kind of Montessori spaces are we creating, whether they're conferences or trainings or schools or districts that are creating prepared environments for everyone to be successful and thrive, right? So that we're taking some of those blinders off. 
Um, and I also really appreciate that you mentioned reflection. It's such a Montessori piece, observation and reflection. We for sometimes forget to do both of those, but certainly if we get in the observation, sometimes we're forgetting to reflect on what is it we noticed? What is it we figured out? What change do we want to now make based on that? Um, so loving that you pulled those in. Dr. E, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? I'm reflecting. <laughs> um, I'm reflecting about my own journey as a teacher, uh, my own journey as an educator, and thinking about when Maya discussed freedom. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine the impact I could have made if I had the tools mm -hmm. to create the environment that I knew mm -hmm my community needed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I've always had to lean into the dominant culture of education and society. And so when someone starts talking to me about the connection between Montessori and liberatory learning, it literally gives me a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, it's not that Black folks haven't wanted these opportunities. We haven't had access to them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And so part of our work in the fund is to give access, right, at the right time, yes. right, for our folks to be able to create, right, these ecosystems mm -hmm. where folks not only can thrive, right, as guides, but also as community members, mm -hmm. Right. And how refreshing that is. I'm thinking about Deja, who's one of our teacher leaders at Honeypot. And she just posted a sign saying, it feels so good to walk in every day and share space with my students. Mm. That would have never happened if we haven't had those conversation about what does liberatory education look like to you as a leader? Mm -hmm. What does liberation look like for this community? Mm -hmm. And so that I've just been in reflection mode and thinking, wow, we've got work to do. Mm -hmm. And I think the fund can assist in doing that. Mm, wonderful. Well, I wonder if there's anything either of you would like to say as we're wrapping up about the fund or the work of the fund before we close. Well, I definitely want to um, share with listeners that they can get so much more information about our fund and how to contribute at www.blackwildflowers.org. And I think the other um, big piece is we are looking for partners that want to elevate the stories of our teacher leaders. In addition to the fund supporting um, new schools that are opening and that will be led by Black educators, we really want to put a spotlight on all of the innovation and beauty that is already happening mm. at um our schools. And I think it is so important that we allow teacher leaders to tell their story mm -hmm. and to show and demonstrate what's possible. Um, so if there is anyone who, who wants to feature our teacher leaders, um, whether that be, um, through, uh, a, a magazine or through storytelling or through a podcast, um, please do not hesitate to contact us. We would love um, to get more stories out there mm -hmm. about the ingenuity, the determination, mm -hmm. the vision mm -hmm. of our founders um, because they are the reason why we do this work. Mm -hmm. They are what have inspired um, this fun. And we want to make it really crystal clear that like a black educator, their vision is possible. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Their vision, um, they already know what works 
because they've seen it in the classroom. They've lived it. Mm -hmm. And if the more barriers we can remove and really get out of their way, I think the more possible it is to create uh, a thriving learning environment for all our children. So every time I think about this work, I think about what my daughter deserves. Mm. And it is um, a Black educator that has the freedom and the autonomy to to respond directly to her needs. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're building. Mm. And we're excited for um, partnerships and and accelerating this fund so that we can um, open 24 more schools um, over the next three years and triple triple the pipeline mm. um, of 21 black leaders that are, are doing this work right now. We want to triple that mm. so that many, many more black educators see Wildflower and this fund as a, a place where they can um, plant and um, start the school of their dreams. Beautiful. Thank you both very much for being on Montessori in Action podcast today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and such a great opportunity to share. An honor. Thank you, Elizabeth. Our show is a project of Public Montessori in Action, elevating voices in the community to forward the mission. Our host is Elizabeth Slade. Our producer is Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with others. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.